You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, good evening. If you turn your Bible uh, to 1 Peter 2, we're just going to look at a couple of verses here as we pray our hearts for uh, the Lord's Supper. Thank you for Regen, Adam, and our wonderful musicians uh, for once again leading us in worship tonight. Let me pray for us, and uh, we will begin to contemplate this gospel through preaching. We've already contemplated it through song. Father, thank you uh, for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you he is Lord and Savior. We thank you that he is our prophet, our priest, and our king, the son of God, the son of man, the one mediator between God, you, Lord, and and man. And Father, we come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and by the Spirit of Christ, and we ask, Lord, that as we consider this wonderful passage on the gospel, you would feed our souls, and Father, that you'd meet us according to our need. Uh, Maybe there's some here tonight who need new faith. Maybe others need their faith to be strengthened. Others need to be brought to repentance, some to be, to be encouraged. Some need assurance. Uh, Father, we pray that you would meet us according to our need tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike Horton, in his book, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice has been rough today, if you haven't noticed. Uh, in his book, The Gospel Commission, writes these words about the gospel The gospel is not our conversion experience. That is how I got saved. Now, that's important, but that's not the gospel. It's the fruit of the gospel. It is not a report about what happened or happens inside of us. That's important, but it's the fruit of the gospel. Rather, it is always a message about what God has done decisively and uniquely in his son for our salvation. Along similar lines, the gospel is not asking Jesus into our hearts. You see, the the sinner's main crisis, and that was all of us at one time, for some of you it may be your current situation, our main crisis isn't that Jesus is not in our hearts. Our main crisis is that the sinner with the rest of fallen humanity is an Adam. That is the main crisis. Adam is our federal head. In other words, it's the sinner rather than Jesus who needs to be relocated. To be sure, the New Testament does teach that by faith, Christ dwells in our hearts. That's a reality. That's the fruit of believing the gospel. But it's not the gospel. As important as it is, it's the fruit of the gospel. Elise Fitzpatrick writes of an encounter that she had with a 20-something girl, young lady, uh, that illustrates, I think, our Christian culture's fallen and faulty view of the gospel. And Elise asked this young lady, 
what does it mean to be a Christian? And the young lady replied, it means that you ask Jesus into your heart. Yes, all right, but what does that mean? The young lady responded, it means that you ask Jesus to forgive you. Okay, but what do you ask him to forgive you for? Bad things? I guess you ask him to forgive you for bad things. Like what? Elise asked. There was a deer in the headlights. Look from this young lady. Then I thought I'd try a different tack. Why should Jesus forgive you? She fidgeted. Um, because you ask him? She beamed. Okay. I thought I'll try again. What do you think God wants you to know? He wants me to know that I should love myself and that there's nothing I can't do if I think I can. And what does God want from you? I asked. She responded, he wants me to do good stuff. Like, you know, be nice to others and don't hang around bad people. I share that because I've had this kind of conversation numerous times with 20-somethings, with college students, and, and even high schoolers. Well, that's certainly not the gospel. This young lady did not understand the gospel. Certainly, the gospel always produces fruit in the believer. But the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is what God has done in Jesus Christ definitively for us and our salvation. And we see that in our passage tonight. And what I want us to look at, verse 24, and there are going to be three points here, and then we're going to observe the table. We're going to see, first of all, the cross's necessity. It's important that you understand the necessity of the cross in order to come to Christ by grace through faith. Notice in verse 24 of 1 Peter 2. He himself bore our sins. Now there, Peter is conflating a phrase from Isaiah 53, 4 in Isaiah 53, 12. Where did he learn this? Well, Jesus taught the disciples hermeneutics. He taught the disciples how to read their Old Testament through the lens of the gospel. And Isaiah 53 is that great suffering servant song. And here he says he bore our sins, picking up the language of Isaiah 53. And notice it says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Peter could have said cross. But why does he use the language of tree? Well, again, Jesus taught him how to read his Bible. And this recalls Deuteronomy 21. Listen to this, verse 22. I didn't send Miss Jerry notes tonight, so the reason there's no notes on the board is, is on me. But Deuteronomy 21, verse 22, if a man, listen to this, has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. 
for a hanged man is cursed by God. Peter is using the language of tree rather than cross, though certainly the cross was a piece of wood to make a point. Jesus Christ was a curse of God on the tree, on the cross. He bore our sins. He took the curse that we deserve. In fact, that's why many of the Jews could not believe that Jesus was the Messiah because their understanding of Messiah could not be that he would be cursed of God. They knew their Old Testament. And Peter is making that very point. He was a cursed of God. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. The curse that we deserve was imputed and poured out upon him. And this is the root message of Christianity. Jesus Christ stood before God on the cross as if he was us. It was as if he had lived our filthy lives. Every sinful thought you've ever had, every mean word, every slanderous word, every lustful thought, every act or deed that is loveless and godless, the curse on that was poured out on the Son of God. He bore our sins. And this runs so contrary to our our natural instinct towards self-justification. 2007, a group called Lincoln Park, and I've never listened to Lincoln Park, but this song um, was well-known, and I think it is really representative of our tendency towards self-justification. The song's called What I've Done. And here's the lyrics, just a couple of lyrics. I'll face myself to cross out what I've become. So he's, he's fixing himself. I'll face myself to cross out what I've become. Erase myself and let go of what I've done. For what I've done, I start again. And whatever pain may come, today this ends. I'm forgiving what I've done. I'm forgiving what I've done. Here's the problem. I can't cross out what I've become. I can't do that. I don't have the capacity to do that. And I can't erase myself. And I certainly can't forgive what I've done. Because my sins are not fundamentally against me. They're against the living God. Uh, uh, Another example of this, a while back, a politician committed just some heinous sins while in office, moral sins. And when he was trying to be restored, here's what he said. In the past few days, I've begun to atone for my private failings. What's the problem with that? The real is you cannot atone for your sins. It's imp- it would take, here's what it would take, eternal hell. It would take eternal judgment to atone for your sins because our sins are against a God who is infinite and eternal in his perfections. Not only that, in hell, it's not like you'll be born again and you all of a sudden start loving God. In hell, you will hate him as much as you've ever hated him. And therefore, judgment will be eternal Eternal hell. Our sins are too vast. 
They're too deep. They're too wide. That's why the cross is necessary for our salvation. For those who trust in the Son of God, Peter tells us he bore our sins. He bore our sins. He was judged. So that's the first point I want us to see, the cross necessity. The second point is the cross significance. Notice in the second part of that verse, it says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus died on the cross so that we would die to sins. The power of sin was overcome by his cross and his resurrection. And in union with Christ, by grace through faith, we've been made dead to sin and alive to God. You know what that tells us? It tells us you have been divinely resourced to obey God, to love God, and to love your neighbor, to love your brother, to love your sister, to honor your mother, to honor your father. You have been divinely resourced to love your enemy, to die to sin, and to live to righteousness. You don't have to be enslaved to sin. You don't have to be addicted to pornography or any other sin. Jesus Christ has resourced you through his cross and resurrection to die to sin and to live to, right, in, to, to righteousness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6 verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You see that? Jesus is living right now. He's living right now as our Savior and our substitute, our life giver. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And now he's going to picture sin as a, a former ruler, a former king over you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Who reigns? Kings reign, right? There was a time sin reigned in your mortal body. And you, you responded to that king every day with a bowed knee. That's no longer the case. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What Paul is saying is, sin's no longer your king. Imagine you move to another country and you get citizenship in that country. Your former president, your former king comes to you and says, you must obey me. What would you say? No, you're no longer my king. I have a new king. I have a new citizenship. That's what Paul is saying here. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You see that? You see the law directs, but it doesn't motivate. What did we learn this morning? Only grace motivates. And grace comes down, and what does that do? It changes us. We become grateful, we become loving because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the one who took our sins in his body on the tree.
That brings us to the third point. We've seen the cross's necessity. We've seen the cross's significance. And finally, the cross's outcome. Notice, by his wounds, we have been healed. You have been healed. We have been healed. You didn't know there was that much in that one verse, did you? You have been healed. Then Peter is picking up Isaiah 53, verse 5. There the prophet Isaiah says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. Now this is the proof text for the word of faith teachers. I heard one of these word of faith teachers say something so audacious. He said these words, don't tell me about Epaphroditus. Don't tell me about Paul's thorn in the flesh or Timothy's upset stomach. Those examples only prove the sinful character of those who did not have enough faith to believe that God would heal them. Taking that verse out of context, I heard one uh, man, uh, word of faith teacher, uh, tell a man in a wheelchair, the only difference between me and you is I have enough faith to walk, and you don't. Now, in one sense, Peter is saying that a comprehensive healing is coming, and it stems from the cross. A, a comprehensive healing is, awaits every believer in the resurrection. And though God does at times heal now, this is not referring to physical healing in the present. In fact, if you were to do an exhaustive study of this word heal, we would see that the primary reference in the Bible has nothing to do with physical healing, but healing from the consequences of our sin. By his stripes, we have been healed from the consequences of our sin. So verse 24 is the gospel. And then notice in verse 25, and we close here to come to the table. He says, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so this is a comprehensive snapshot of the gospel and the fruit of the gospel conversion. It lays out our fundamental dilemma. What is that? We were straying. We were straying like sheep. That is our natural condition. We were straying. That is our fundamental dilemma. And then it presents the answer. We were healed. We were healed from the consequences of our sin. How are we healed? Jesus Christ took the penalty. And now by his resurrection, we have overcome and we have power over sin Okay, and death. And then notice the relationship that was broken has now been restored. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned. You've returned. And who have you returned to? To the shepherd. The shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And one of the evidences that you have returned to the shepherd, you love corporate worship. That's why I'm so deeply encouraged. We come out on Sunday night, almost half of our Sunday morning crowd returns on Sunday night because late viewers are tethered to 
corporate worship on the Lord's Day. One of the evidences that we have returned to our shepherd is that we love to, to, to worship with God's people. We also love our brothers, our sisters. It's one of the evidences that we've returned. We take our sins seriously. We don't persist in our sin. We don't have this little pet sin over here that we've sequestered from Jesus. We come to the table and we come repentantly and believing in the reality of the gospel that our Savior bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus is done with your sin. That's the gospel. And so are you. We have to remember that and believe that. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.
Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time, or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.